You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it just occurred to me before I hit uh, play how I'm going to handle this situation. Um, It's not a perfect situation because we also have more news to cover than I possibly can, but in an effort to uh, get caught up on some of the calls from Packernet After Dark, we're going to um, reserve a little bit of time at the end of the show to answer a couple calls. That'll hopefully get us a little bit closer to being caught up with the some 130-odd calls that we have to get through. And maybe we'll kind of start way in the back from like over a week ago. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out when we figure it out. But I do want to start today with a discussion about the next impending thing that is coming up uh, well, I guess it would be today from the time that you're hearing this, I believe, right? That is the Jordan Love fifth-year option situation. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I haven't maybe put enough thought into this and had enough conversations about it to have a really, really concrete idea of the right thing to do. But I, I, the, the best that I can come up with is, number one, I probably wouldn't give him the fifth-year option And number two, I think people are going to, no matter what happens, make a bigger deal of it than it is, right? If he doesn't get the fifth-year option, well, I guess they don't believe in him. I guess he's not that good after all, right? If he gets it, then it means he is good. I, I, You know what I mean? Like, it's for the 500,000th time, it is 100% impossible for the Packers to know how good of a quarterback he's going to be, right? I mean, it's it's... They can have an idea of how good he is in practice and everything else. He could light it up in practice and everything else. But that does not translate to the NFL football field. I'm positive there are great practice quarterbacks that are not great NFL quarterbacks. Just like there are really good preseason quarterbacks that can't do anything in the regular season. Do I have to go pull those names for you? The Packers do not know how good of a quarterback. He's, they've answered that question for us a hundred times. Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, what have they said every time they've been asked? you got to get him on the field. you got to see how he, how he reacts to an actual NFL football game. right? What have I said a billion times? It's about consistency. I know he can do it, but can he do it from play to play, from quarter to quarter, from game to game, from year to year? That's what we need to figure out. You know, I love the Eagles game, but that's not a big enough sample size. If it was, boom, lock him up, 50-year option, let's do it. But it's not. We need to see more. More real game time situations. So with that being said, the Packers do not know if he's going to be a high quality starter for the Packers. In fact, I don't know that we're going to know even after the conclusion of this year. Remember how Justin Fields has been playing for two years and I'm still not allowed to say that the guy's not good at football? But yet I'm not allowed to sit here and say the Packers don't know if if Jordan Love is going to be a good football player? What the heck are we talking about? So with that information, which is not debatable, what do you do with that? Well, if you give him, let's start with not giving him the fifth-year option. The, the biggest negative I see is that it's not a vote of confidence in Jordan Love. Now, you can be rational with Jordan Love and say, look, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, we believe in you absolutely, but we just, we, we, we haven't seen it enough to give you $20 million next year. 
But I just, I still feel like that's going to be a hard way to start your relationship with Jordan Love, who is the future of your, supposed future of your franchise. If that's what you're telling him, you're the guy, all this stuff, and then, oh yeah, we're not, we're not so sure. You just don't want to start it off that way. That, to me, would be the biggest negative. The other negative that I'm guessing, again, I haven't put a lot of thought or had a lot of conversations with anybody about it. The other biggest negative that I could potentially see is, well, if he lights it up, then he's going to get a bigger contract than $20 million, and then what? Well, that doesn't bother me even slightly. First of all, one year is not enough for a guy to, to lock down that $55 million next contract for the next biggest quarterback. And actually, it's kind of a, it's kind of a question, right? Because you have to assume one year isn't enough. So would Jordan Love, let's say, to, let, you know, what would you do from the Packers standpoint and from Jordan Love's standpoint? If the Packers say, sorry, dude, we're not giving you this uh, five-year, $50 million a year, you know, $200 million guaranteed contract after just one year, do you as Jordan Love take a discount for a long-term contract? Do you take like a $30 million contract for one year? So it's kind of like you get your fifth-year option and you tack on another $10 million tax. The, the danger there is what happens if you don't perform as well next year or if you get hurt or whatever the case may be, you're going to miss out on a ton of money. I'm guessing you'd want to agree to a short-term thing because then, you know, again, you, you prove it one more year that you're that dude and you will get that, you know, who knows what the, the number goes up to. We're already above 50 million. Won't take long before that thing skyrockets to 55 or hopefully not 60. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how fast this is going to go up. But the reason it doesn't bother me all that much is because he's going to get the contract anyways. And maybe the, maybe the Packers would want to lock it up early because why take on that extra year of inflation if he if you're if you're convinced enough like he showed it for the entirety of the year and he's our guy then let's just give it to him you know maybe i don't know but again it, it doesn't bother me because oh you could have had him for 20 but now it's going to be more which it's not it probably won't be more than 20 because his first year of his contract is going to be less but they probably work it out so it's like exactly 20 just to tell everybody to shove it but if he's the guy and he's going to get the contract anyways one year delay doesn't really change all that much well, yeah, you can get all these free... No, you can't because next year you can't afford them because the money goes up, right? So we have to view the team for what it is. We, if we have a $50 million quarterback, then what can we do to spend money around that, uh, uh, that uh, behemoth of a contract? Which I don't even know what the percentage would be at that point if we're talking 2020... Well, 2024 would be a low percentage. So 2026 probably is when it starts to actually hit that number. I don't know, man. Doing too much math here. I'm <laughs> seeing a bunch of news about uh, fifth-year options getting declined and this, that, and the other. So you're probably going to know the answer by the time it happens. But I, I guess the bottom line for me is it. no matter what happens, people are going to read way too much into it. And either way, I don't know that it changes a ton. On the, on the flip side of it, the, if you do give them the fifth-year option, obviously the good thing is it's the vote of confidence, like we believe in you, which even that doesn't necessarily make sense because, I mean, you know, if you believed in them, why not just give him the contract, right? I mean, so let's just not be ridiculous about it. Of course, there's questions, but whatever. It's it's yeah, we, we we're gonna give you we're gonna exercise it because we want you here next year. And so what what is the the risk then? He's a bad quarterback, and then you spend twenty million dollars on a guy that you don't want. Well, what is the harm in that? Do you think we're actually gonna cut him? No. Is twenty million dollars even that much? No. Twenty million dollars is like backup quarterback money. So it's twenty million bucks. He's going to be your starter. Maybe if we get high enough picks, we draft somebody and there's a quarterback competition. And worst case scenario, Jordan Love ends up losing that competition because you got somebody that's really good and won the job. And then Jordan Love goes bye-bye after this $20 million year, in which case you're, I mean, what are you even spending? Like $25 million total on quarterbacks? Whoop-de-doo. Jordan Love leaves and then the new guy takes over and you've got all this time with a, I mean, honestly, that's no offense to Jordan, that's probably a better case scenario anyways. The only thing that would be slightly better is if you didn't exercise it. But again, you're not... Are you going to cut him? I don't think you would. But then you'd have to give him a contract in order to get him to stay. How much would it cost you? Slightly less? So if you want Jordan Love to stay, because obviously you're going to have to make that decision before the draft. You don't know if you're going to draft somebody. So you're going to have to give him a contract. What's his contract going to be? Well, instead of the $20 million, you give him, what, 15 to get him to stay? Like, what, what's the big freaking deal? So, I don't know. I think I said my preference would be to not give it to him, but now that I think about it, it makes more sense to give it to him because what are you saving? Five million bucks? What's it going to cost to just dump Jordan Love outright because he's terrible, but then go out and get a veteran? Do you think you're going to get a, a veteran that can actually play for less than 20? So the fifth-year option thing to me is, I don't want to say completely irrelevant, but I can't think of a scenario in which it becomes just this complete nightmare. 
What matters is how Jordan Love performs. That's what matters. If he does not perform well, whether he got the fifth-year option or not, that sucks. If he does perform well, whether he got the fifth-year option or not, that's awesome. So it's kind of the big deal right now, but it also is like, it, it, I just can't really see a scenario in which it's like, oh no, that's horrible. So anyways, um, the other thing I wanted to do was kind of take a look at the Green Bay Packers selection, um, but from outside of my bubble and my bubble being in my own brain, because I don't know, you know what other people are thinking necessarily. Um, and, and as I've said, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised and I don't know why. I, I, I guess I just didn't really... Um, like last year, almost the exact same thing happened as this year where the Packers ended up taking really high-value players at really good spots, right? Guys that quote-unquote fell. And for whatever reason, I just didn't really notice it, right? So, for example, last year when we took Zach Tom, I was screaming for Zach Tom. When we took Romeo Dobbs, a lot of people were screaming for Romeo Dobbs, right? Kingsley and Igbari, we're all staring at him being on the board like, dude, when's Kingsley going to go? When's Kingsley? And then, boom, Packers take Kingsley. It was like it was like we all saw it. Like, there was one guy we were looking at, like, who's going to take him? And the Packers were always the team that took him. And I just didn't see that this year. And I, I think it was because it was maybe a little bit more mixed up and there were a ton of different opinions about everybody. But at the end of the day, a lot of people felt the same way about last year's class as this year's class. I just kind of missed it, I guess. But one site that didn't, the, team, the, the, the organization that maybe liked our draft more than anybody else, and that's Pro Football Network. They graded not just every single team's draft, but every single uh, pick. And, and um, here's what they had for the Green Bay Packers picks. And I'm not just trying to focus on the positive, but, but again, just trying to get other people's input on it because my understanding of all this is limited, so let's see what other people think. Round 1, pick 13, Lucas Van Ness. They gave us an A-. minus. Luke Musgrave in the second round, a B. Jaden Reed, an A. Now, again, I was told Jaden Reed was a massive reach. But there were a lot of people, apparently, that were all the way in on Jaden Reed. How I missed it and every one of us missed it, I don't know. But even I went on Twitter and it was like, look at what this guy said. And you can go back and see a bunch of people were talking about him. I just completely missed it. Tucker Craft in the third round, A+. Colby Wooden in the fourth round, A. Sean Clifford, C. Dontavion Wicks, A-. Carl Brooks, A-. Anders Carlson, C. Carrington Valentine, A+, Lou Nichols, B, Anthony Johnson, A-, Grant DeBose, A. They went on to say the Packers had a whopping 13 selections in the 2023 NFL Draft, and nine of those selections earned some type of an A. Lucas Van Ness was a viable upside swing in round one. Jaden Reed and Tucker Kraft were phenomenal picks on day two. Luke Musgrave pick, uh, while a bit early, made a lot of sense, especially for Jordan Love. Then, on day three, the Packers bolted the line with versatile pieces and Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks and landed major steals like Carrington Valentine and Grant DeBose. The biggest knocks for Green Bay, they spent a mid-day three pick on a middling backup and a round six pick on a kicker with a very shaky background. But I don't know anything about that. we got to figure that out. But overall, when looking at the most vital roster construction pieces, Green Bay did extremely well, A-minus overall. Now, they actually elaborated further on this. I don't want to read all this line for line because it'll just take up all the time. But at least for some of the pieces that maybe were a little bit more um, unknown. So, for example, the A-minus pick that went to Van Ness, they don't really give any insights that we didn't already know about the guy. The only interesting thing they bring up about Musgrave is that they would have rather picked Tucker Craft here <laughs> than Musgrave, which will go to show you why they like Tucker Craft so much when we eventually got him. But um, then I want to get to Jaden Reed because, again, we, we kind of know the, the Luke Musgrave thing. He's really fast, right? He's not a great blocker, not really the greatest at any. Honestly, Luke Musgrave scares the living crap out of me, but we'll, we'll delve more into that when I have more time to actually look into these guys. But then we get to Jaden Reed. Because they gave us an A grade for a guy that I was told is a massive reach. They go on to sort of state the obvious, and that is that this Jaden Reed pick is not what you typically get for the Green Bay Packers. 5'11", 191, arms under 31 inches. Jaden Reed doesn't have the size or density that Green Bay generally prefers. But they go on to say that he complements the Green Bay Packers very well. Safety blanket, built-in vertical ability. Said Michigan State, uh, the offense diluted Reed's production but he's an extremely complete wide receiver. Fleet-footed, explosive receiver off the line, can offset DBs with brisk releases and stack with his 4-4-5 speed. Again, the Packers had him in the 4-3s. 
He can separate down the field, track the ball, acrobatic contested catch artist with elite instincts, and after the catch, Reed has slippery utility as well. This is Ian Cummings, by the way. This is their um, draft guy over at uh, Pro Football Network, but he said he had him as a top 50 prospect. We took him right at 50. says, getting him at 50 is a great move for the Packers. He has the traits to hit the ground running as a versatile receiving threat for love, and his complete three-level appeal makes him an easy player to project production for moving forward. Then we get to Tucker Craft, who's another guy that I just didn't really understand, and at this point, without having gone back and not really much to see, still don't fully understand it. But both Jake Shavink, who is our draft guy, and Ian Cummings, who's Pro Football Network's draft guy, are gushing over Tucker Craft. He said, interestingly, Kraft is the tight end I would have preferred over Musgrave in round two. Kraft has great size and density. He also a, he's also a smooth athlete in space with untapped route running upside. He passes all physical thresholds. He's an instinctive catcher in space. Not quite the, vertical, uh, the dynamic vertical threat that Musgrave is. Rather, Kraft does most of his damage working up the seam, as well as catching short passes and stride over the middle of the field. He's one of the best RAC threats. With his contact balance and physicality, he's also a terrific blocker. So basically, Tucker Craft is everything that Luke Musgrave isn't. And as best as I can tell, Luke Musgrave is only speed. <laughs> so Tucker Craft is everything but speed. Then you get to Colby Wooden. He said he is just outside of my top 100, so getting him at 116 is a win for Green Bay. He can play 3-tech or 4-I, big edge, speed to power, versatile, multifaceted has a, a, a rushing arsenal, so he's not one of these one-dimensional guys that needs to learn a, a bunch of pass rush moves. He's got a bunch in his, in his back pocket. Sean Clifford, he doesn't say a ton, basically just saying there, there are as good of quarterbacks that were available that you could have gotten later. Obviously, the Packers disagreed, but that's, again, his opinion on that. Dontavion Wicks, very intriguing three-level threat at this point in the draft. This was fifth round pick 159. 6'1", 206, over 32-inch arms, has the build the Packers like, supremely explosive and twitchy, doesn't have great long speed or fluidity, but his contact balance after the catch, uh, combined with his physicality, presents appeal. Then you get to the man myth and the legend uh, Carl Brooks, another guy that got an A grade, an A minus, another guy with alignment versatility, proven pass rush capabilities, clearly. Anders Carlson just says the guy's got a big leg, career long so far is 53 yards, he got that back in 2018. He says, but accuracy and consistency remains a concern, which again is surprisingly the case for every kicker that I've even even Moody. I remember thinking like, dude, this guy, if he's like the guy, we should go get him. And then I looked at his PFF stats and it's like, it's not that good. So I don't know. But it says across five years with the Tigers, he had career conversion rates of just 71.8% on field goals. He was 14 of 21, 12 of 17. Uh, the next year, he'll need to find consistency quickly at the next level. Carrington Valentine, six foot 193, 32-inch arm, 39-inch vert, springs out of his stance and jars receivers with ruthless physicality. I'm excited to watch this guy because if you remember me talking about DBs, the number one thing I liked is guys that are physical. And from what I understand, if I had watched Carrington Valentine, I would have had him on my like list real fast. I don't know because I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds like he would have been on my list, which is just upsetting because that would have made... Probably a bunch of guys that would have been on the list. And I'm also upset I didn't put Carl Brooks on the list, even though I watched him, just because I was confused by him being a 300-pound edge rusher. Says his technique needs refinement, but he's still very young. This is a pick that could pay back surprising dividends with a couple years of development. So, And that, that was an A-plus grade, one of, I think, only two, Tucker Craft being the other. But the great thing about this, you're talking about a seventh-round pick. Very rarely does a seventh-round pick actually have starting upside and and what he's saying is this guy actually could legitimately be a starter at some point in his career just needs some development uh lou nichols not a ton that we don't know but uh 510 220 very dense compact contact balance his favorite word anthony johnson a minus grade but not a ton we don't know about him and then grant debose he talks about another guy that we got an a grade for he has coveted measurables at 62 200 with 32 inch arms Compelling blend of size, catching ability, and athletic functionality. Surprising short area agility and sync on transitions. He goes on to say, quietly one of the best at contorting for high difficulty throws. DeBose is a quality rotational wide receiver early on who can grow into an even larger role if he's able to expand his route tree. I think one of the things that would be interesting is comparing because the last two years were so similar with wide receiver. So how does Christian Watson and Jaden Reed stack up? Not in terms of what we know now and what we think is going to happen moving forward, but in terms of 
Christian Watson coming out of school compared to Jaden Reed coming out of school. Wicks and Dobbs, Samori Ture, and DeBose. Because I, I guess the way I'm seeing it right now, I, I tend to think Christian Watson um, had, was held in higher regard than Jaden Reed, although that's only based on the, the, the hype. But now we're finding out that there was actually a ton of Jaden Reed hype. We just all missed it. Um, I would be stunned if Wicks had higher regard, I guess, than, than Romeo Dobbs. But I'm really getting the feeling that DeBose is liked more than Samori Ture, even though I think people thought Samori Ture was a good pick. But he went on to give uh, the Chicago Bears a B plus, the Vikings a B, and the Lions a C plus, I think. But then we get over to PFF. I'm actually surprised they gave us a B plus. Every time I checked after our picks, they uh, clearly thought it was a terrible value for just about everybody we got. They said the Packers had their picks of all the pass catchers in the class when they were on the clock at pick 13, but they instead looked to the trenches at Iowa edge defender Lucas Van Ness. They used all day three two uh, day two selections on playmakers, though, adding Michigan State wide receiver Jaden Reed to go along with Musgrave and Tucker Craft. Again, I just immediately get annoyed when you immediately jump to, should have just got a pass catcher, but I guess it's fine because you got a pass catcher later. Like, that's such a stupid way to just approach things. I don't get that. Um, then they didn't give A, B, C, D, E, F grades. They just said, you know, good to average to very good, whatever. But Lucas Van Ness, average. Musgrave, good. Jaden Reed, average. Tucker Craft, very good. So everybody loves that pick. Um, Colby Wooden, good. Sean Clifford, below average. Dontavian Wicks, average. Carl Brooks, good. Anders Carlson, below average. Valentine, average. Nichols, average. And then Anthony Johnson and Grant DuBose, they apparently didn't even have uh, grades on or whatever. But they also gave the Chicago Bears a B plus. Um, in fact, they didn't really have any of them as being very good. But they said uh, their second-round pick, Tyreek Stevenson, Rashawn Johnson at round four and Tyler Scott in round four were good, and that was the best that they had, including uh, the first two picks being average. The Vikings, they ended up giving a B minus. Tough to do when you don't have a ton of picks, but um, they actually, the only pick that they really liked was Dwayne McBride, which was a seventh round pick. Otherwise, Jordan Addison was good and Jacqueline Roy was good, and that's it. Detroit Lions also got a B plus. So the, the, Three teams tied, and the only team that they liked less was the Minnesota Vikings. But even still, with the Lions, the first two picks they gave below average grades to. Uh, the only thing they loved was Brian Branch they gave an elite grade to, which, again, I mean, it's one of those things where based on their pre-draft analysis, that was the biggest steal of all. But obviously the entire NFL looked at Brian Branch and did not think he was rated as highly as many thought. But Brian Branch, elite. Hendon Hooker they gave a good grade to, but... Um, Jameer Gibbs at 12 below average, Jack Campbell below average, Sam Laporta average, uh, Broderick Martin in round three below average, Colby Sorsdahl in round five below average. So they really didn't like most of their picks, but because they got Brian Branch at 45, that pretty much saved everything. Anyways, why don't we end the first half segment with the, uh, article by Tyler Dunn that kind of touches on... Some of the things that I've been mentioning that's been brought up in terms of, you know, should we just automatically assume, hello, that the uh, Green Bay Packers are going to be a garbage team because Aaron Rodgers walked out the door? Um, Obviously, I have a ton of questions about the roster, and I don't know which direction to go, positive or negative. You know, the wide receiver room, that could be a freaking awesome wide receiver room. It might not be very good at all. Jordan Love could be awesome. He could be terrible. Running backs we know are going to be good. Tight ends could be amazing, could be subpar. Offensive line, we pretty much know what it is, and it should be solid. I mean, it was the, I think, third best pass blocking offensive line, something like that last year. Can't really see a reason why it's too much worse than that. And the defense is wildly unpredictable. I had uh, Mr. Numberman reach out and, and talk to me about that from a statistical standpoint, how defense is wildly unpredictable from one year to the next. He mostly pointed it out to me in regard to the Jets having a good defense last year, meaning nothing in regard to what they're going to be able to do next year. But it applies everywhere else as well, from positive to negative, from negative to positive. So I know the pieces are there. Are they going to be a good defense, mediocre defense, bad defense? I don't know. But to pretend that I know that they're a bad team because our mediocre quarterback left, yes, that's what I called him because that's what he was last year, um, seems like an odd approach to things. But um, he starts off the article with this quote. He says, there's risk in the National Football League. We were 8-9 and nine last year. We're trying to get better. So I think that's important. 
and he highlights that as sort of a sort of the fact that Brian Gutekunst and the team are not really buying into this nonsensical narrative that we're rebuilding and everything is horrible and and everything's going to go back and all this kind of stuff. It's nonsense. He's in fact looking at it and saying, "No, we were we were mediocre last year and we need to be better than that." And that's our expectation. Talks a little bit about um the compensation we could have gotten had we had decided to move on earlier, but uh, we obviously didn't do that. The compensation we did get, and then talks about how Leroy Butler even mentioned how teams tend to hang on to their uh, star players, especially star quarterbacks, a little bit longer than they should in hopes that they're going to have that one more big, great, awesome year. It says, um, fooling yourself into thinking an aging quarterback has one more run in him, pretending that Rodgers would have uh, had an offseason epiphany in that Oregon cave and truly acquiesce to the team dynamic. The, the risk of sending a toxic message to your locker room that it's A-OK to blow off the offseason. Remember, other players followed Rodgers' lead in skipping OTAs. The risk is all of the collateral damage, crippling the financial state of the franchise by cutting the quarterback's fat check after check after check through another four to eight uh, four and eight slog is bad enough, but the Packers would also be trashing the career of a player who's been prepping for this exact moment. So there's a lot in that little thing there, but the risk of of hoping for that one more year is more than just a risk of hoping for one more year. I mean, again, they talked about how much we lost in compensation by holding on to him for one more year, how much we lost in terms of the money for that one more year, and it's a massive sum. How much we lost in terms of the the locker room dynamic. He's talking about the the toxic message it sent to the locker room that it's fine to miss the offseason program. Demonstrating how other teams started to or other players started to follow his lead and saying, nah, I'm not going. I don't need it. I'm good enough. And then also potentially harming the career uh, and progress of of Jordan Love. So that is the when you look at keeping Aaron Rodgers, and, and that's not even the full picture, but again, everybody just talks about how dare you get rid of a Hall of Famer. There's no cost-benefit analysis that's being done. There's no, let's look at the pros and cons. It's just, he was good a long time ago. How dare you? He's a Super Bowl champion, don't you know? Goes on to say, Jordan Love's year two to three jump is what Gutekunst, oh, gave Gutekunst the conviction to move forward, trotting out the descending, disinterested 39-year-old who's been flirting with retirement for three years. At this expense is bad business. He says, the sappy walk-off with Randall Cobb isn't what G- the GM will remember most after the defeat. Rather, his quarterback going 2 of 6 for 12 yards with an interception in the fourth quarter, at home, with a playoff berth on the line. Goes on to talk about how he would have liked to have the input, blah, blah, blah. Says, there's time for the Darkness Retreat podcast and an airing of grievances on Pat McAfee's show, but the quarterback wasn't able to squeeze in a conversation with the GM. Then he says how he talked about this in the past, how in previous articles like the one he did in 2019, there were players who used to be friends that got pushed out that would talk about Rodgers as being risk-averse or or controversy-averse. Conflict-averse, I guess is the word. Hyphenated word. In other words, when things get tough, he just says, he just cuts it off and out of his life. When things got rocky with the Packers, what did he do? He wanted to run. He wanted off the Packers. He cut off the, he wouldn't talk to LaFleur. He wouldn't talk to Gutekunst. He wanted to be traded to the 49ers. He went on all these television programs talking about how terrible the organization is, how terribly they treat everybody. And so what happened? The big boys in the organization, the grownups, get on their planes. They they beg and they plead, please, Rogers, let us come out and talk to you. Let us work through this conversation, this issue. They go out multiple times, they talk to them, they, they beg and they plead, they make concessions. You know, we can have meetings in person, we can do all these kinds of things, like the one-on-one meetings that he got with Matt LaFleur that Rodgers apparently was blowing off. Um, like being able to bring back Randall Cobb, which really wasn't an asset to the Packers, but it made Rodgers feel good. Like the one-on-one meetings that he had with Brian Gutekunst, which I'm sure served no real function for the GM who's trying to do some actual work, but it made Rodgers feel good and important for the organization. They made all these concessions, and then he came back and everything was fine. And then as soon as he felt things weren't fine again, what is the first thing he does? He blocks Brian Gutekunst and doesn't answer any of his phone calls. He just cuts him off and he moves on, and then he jumps on Pat McAfee's show and he trashes the organization. But anyways, it goes on to say, uh, so what now? The Detroit Lions are built to seize the opportunity, especially with the number six and 18 overall picks. The Minnesota Vikings, for all their cap constraints, are the defending division champions. But there's no reason the Packers cannot win the NFC North. This is a solid roster, but that's what made David Bakhtiari's rebuilding comments so strange. It goes on to say that he kind of is in a tough spot between trying to remain friends with Aaron Rodgers, but also still being a Green Bay Packer. So then when Gutekunst was asked about it, what did he say? No, I don't ever look at it like that. 
We're excited about this football team and where it can go. Obviously, we're a long way from uh, what our 53-man roster and 60-man practice squad is going to look like, but we're really excited about it. It's going to be new, obviously, specifically at quarterback. At the same time, the goals don't change around here. It's going to be the same goal we've always had. There's one goal here every single year, no matter what, just like it was last time we moved on from one quarterback to another. The goals are the same. It's going to be on those guys to put in the work, and it's going to be exciting to see nothing's really changing. Again, we're not allowed to think this as Packer fans. We are supposed to curl up in the fetal position and say, well, there goes our entire team and Aaron Rodgers, so now I guess we're going to suck. And yes, if you're wondering, I'm very grateful we have a GM that's not asking me to do that also. The left tackle's telling me to do it, Packers media and national media, half of the Packers fan base, they're all telling me I need to do it, but the GM, no. The GM's looking into the camera and saying, nope, we're going to go on to win the division. That's what we're going to do, okay? That's the goal, that's the standard, that's what we expect from Jordan Love, from the new wide receivers, from the old the pass rushers, new, old, and otherwise. That's the goal. That's what we expect of ourselves. That's what you can expect from us, Packer fans. If you don't mind, I've got more work to do. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So I don't have to curl up in the shower and weep? No, no, you don't. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you. Goes on to say, this isn't GM speak. He's correct. The 2023 Packers aren't quite the 2008 Packers. The receiving room is obviously very young with Watson, Dobbs, Ture, all in their second seasons. It says, even if the Packers draft wide receivers and tight ends, yes, they're green, but, quote, Maybe letting those guys play a little bit more in their second year, Gutekunst added. Maybe that's a good thing. Goes on to say the Packers are now quarterback by someone who genuinely cares about working with young receivers. That wasn't the case in 2022. All those audibles and adjustments don't fly with receivers who haven't uh, received their high school diploma the last time they ran that play, or the last time you ran that play. Last season, a young nucleus was quietly growing behind the scene. Loved work with the number one offense plenty the final two months of the season in practice, and receivers frankly felt more comfortable conversing with Love about the offense than Rodgers because they, because they could speak the same language, Matt LaFleur's language. Makes sense, right? Aaron Rodgers wants you to understand what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. Jordan Love and the other wide receivers talked about what? The Matt LaFleur offense, not the variation within says, maybe there's not a fancy familiar name at wide receiver on the roster. There will be a pack of hungry players with everything to prove. And that is what I talked about yesterday in terms of what Packer fans are excited about. A number one in Watson who flashed star potential. A number two in Dobbs who had a rapport with Love all summer long. Says the team still boasts one of the best one-two punches at running back in the league. The defense left for dead after getting gashed by Philadelphia rallied. Last year's first rounders Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt looked like building blocks. Love is ready to be the man. Quote, we've seen steady growth throughout his first three years, Gutekunst said. Last year I felt uh, through practice or a number of times because of Aaron's injuries when he had to take over uh, the ones during practice and some of the competitive areas. I just think we saw him grow and grow and grow. He didn't get nearly, nearly as many opportunities as we would have liked last season during games, but when he did, he certainly answered the bell. I think it's the natural maturation as a person, too. What is put on the, national, uh, on the quarterback in the National Football League's plate is significant. There's a lot to that. Not only on the field, well, not only on the field, that's the sentence. And they're going to go through a lot of challenges, but I think we start to see them grow into their role and felt more confident. Skip over his thoughts on the Jets and how that's going to tank, but he goes on to say, two years ago, Yahoo Sports reported that Rodgers needed Gutekunst fired um, to end his boycott. He never did refute that report and said returning to town with a list of demands that the GM met. Rodgers used to tell his friends he'd never be like Brett. All the drama at the end of Brett Favre's tenure, that'd never be him. Now he's also off to New Jersey. It says, now, like Ted Thompson in 08, everyone sees who's in charge in 2023. Gutekunst is keeping the Packers at the forefront of his mind with the same calm, steady hand. Former Packers executive Andrew Brandt made an excellent point in the lack of a true owner being a good thing for Green Bay as trade talks slogged along. There was no owner to get impatient or emotional and demand a trade get done. It seemed that did happen with the Jets. Skipping down a little ways, it says we're chasing Super Bowls and that's an important thing. That's what it's about. It's not going to always be easy. It's not going to always go smoothly. We were 8-9 last year as we move forward. It was more about what we're going to do to get better moving forward and have a chance to win this thing. The best GMs are devoid of emotion. And you, when you remove sentimentality from the equation, this is as easy as decisions get in pro football. Green Bay is a better football team in 2023 and beyond with Jordan Love. So uh, there, there's more in there that I ended up skipping over, but I, I, again, I appreciate the sentiment of it because so much of the discourse 
around what we're expected to believe about the Packers season is because of how great Aaron Rodgers is. And, and, and even if we forget about how terrible things were last year, even if we forget all that, there's also an element that doesn't get brought up aside from play on the field. And there's nobody more interested in bringing up the stuff off the field in regard to Aaron Rodgers than Tyler Dunn and Bob McGinn, who have all the dirt on all the stuff going on behind the, the scenes. And, and from both of their perspectives, there's nothing really good about what's going on behind the scenes with Aaron Rodgers. And um, the, the positive here, more so than just, you know, ragging on how bad things were, is that it should genuinely give us hope as to an area of improvement that many of us just sat and said, I don't understand what's wrong. And it's funny that many people would even sit here and try to deny that any of those things were going on because we clearly could see that there was something going wrong with the locker room. It was not a talent issue. The team would dominate all season. They get to the postseason and they just wouldn't show up and they talk about how they didn't have belief and da 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 Right? E- even the, the issues early on when, the, when they would go to California and they had to change curfew. Why? Because there was no discipline. There was no core of guys that wanted to fight for the team, put the team ahead of themselves. No, they'd get together as a group of young guys and go out and party. Where is this nucleus of really hardcore, hardworking young guys motivated to do something for the guy to their right, the guy to their left, for the coach, for the organization, for the fans? Who's doing that? Nobody was doing that. Maybe Aaron Jones. Maybe Rashawn Gary, but but even those guys, a lot of times it's you know Rashawn Gary's working hard, and then he shows up and he works hard. But it's 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 silos, maybe groups of a couple guys, but it's not a team. And that's what has me and a lot of people excited is when you when you can genuinely feel the excitement of this young core of 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 offensive players that are really working hard together. Jordan Love again posting on Instagram doesn't necessarily mean anything but there's a genuine excitement there. Me and the boys are putting in the work and I want you to know that we're fighting for you. Cuz it matters. I want you to know this. I I care about this. We care about this. We're going to do this. We're going to prove everybody wrong. We're going to work while while everybody else is sleeping. And again, like I said yesterday, if I have to choose between a guy who has natural innate talent but doesn't try, or a question mark in terms of talent, but a guy that's going to give 100%, give me the 100% because you have to have that. You want a pile of talented guys that just kind of wander around and don't care, fine. Then you'll get a bunch of 10, 12 win seasons and no Super Bowls. And again, I'll take it better than being a bad team, but it really sucks to know that we're missing out on those things because there's guys that just are not doing that little bit extra. Because things like team building and, and, and the locker room cohesion just isn't there. And I'm just excited to see that. Win, lose, or draw. I want to see these guys get fired up and, and cheer for each other and be excited for each other. There was nothing worse than in 2018. It wasn't just the losing. It was the fact that even when they were winning, they didn't care. I've never witnessed anything like that in my life where, where a team scores a touchdown and they walk to the sideline without so much as a high five and go sit on the bench. To look at that as, as, as a lack of talent is to be completely devoid of any understanding whatsoever. There's so much more to football than just talent, which again is why there's way too much being put on the GM all the time. Well, if you just find better talent, then we'd be fine. Just go get talent. Well, you have a problem? Talent. More talent. Need more talent. We didn't win, then we need more talent. Maybe we need a new coach. I don't know, but it's talent, coach, talent, coach. Uh, it's not true. I don't know how many times I can tell you the lack of talent that the Kansas City Chiefs have despite their success or all these other teams. Even, you know, I, I, there's so many unbelievable examples of this. You know, the, the Baltimore Ravens, when they won, the, the year Ray Lewis retired, that defense was already good. It became unstoppable. Why? Because they rallied around Ray Lewis. They would not be freaking denied. To simply look at it as a talent or not talent situation or proposition is ridiculous. Being a team matters. And I think we're going to get a team next year. And I think we're going to work toward hopefully being closer to what the Lions are, which is a team that maximizes the potential that they have. And then the question is, how good are, 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 you, know, are you? Then it, then it becomes more of a Brian Gutekunst thing. Because we're going to get 100% out of these guys. It's just a question of, what does 100% mean? I don't know that, but that's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm hoping for, because we haven't had that. We've had a, a, a core group of, of veterans who want to just lecture everybody about how things should be, get on my level type stuff. That didn't work. I'm excited for something new. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll take some calls. We'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, Daniel from California here. Hey. Uh, I want to say I knew teams were high on Jack Campbell. That guy when I was watching college football, that guy is just so good, dude. And it sucks that he's a lion now, but like I knew that guy was good enough to be at the end of the first. I thought he, you know, he's just one of those rangy, like old school, but rangy at the same time linebackers. So, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it's another lion bust at linebacker, but I don't think so. That guy's pretty good. Go back, go. Yeah. I, I had said that, of all the linebackers I watched, the only one I liked was Campbell. With that said, in a given draft class, there's usually about three, four, five linebackers that I like. Um, he also has more, I'm not going to lie, of a second or later round vibe. A lot of the guys that go first round are these freak, like really fast 40 times. I'm not saying all of them, but you know what I mean? And, and I got the feeling from him, he was more of the field general, you know, good tackling leading the defense kind of a guy, which is great, but I, I, I guess I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to look up his measurables. Maybe he is that guy, but I, I think the biggest thing with not so much, because I like Jameer Gibbs too. I think Gibbs and Campbell are both great picks. In fact, I had both of them on my like list, I think. I don't think any of them were love. Maybe Gibbs, I don't know. Packers got zero on my list, right? But the, the bigger critique comes in that they got a running back and a linebacker. They had two first-round picks and a team that is ascending, that is on the verge of taking the NFC North from everybody. Like, now is your chance to really just freaking carve some stuff up, you know? You had the number six overall pick. Number six. I mean, there was talk about you potentially. I mean, the number one at almost any position with the exception of quarterback was almost within, within striking distance. At least number two, pass rusher, tackle. Not that you need a tackle, but, you know, that second pick, imagine if they'd have added, like the Vikings did, another wide receiver. And you got Williams on the outside, you got St. Brown as your slot guy, and then you get whoever. Just a thought. With that second pick, you could have got, I believe, the number one tight end, whoever you wanted. They still got Laporta, which is, I mean, that's great. The offense is looking pretty stout. Offensive line, you got Goff doing whatever Goff does. St. Brown, Williams, assuming Williams becomes anything good, which is not for sure, but then you got Gibbs at running back. But what about the defense? You could have taken corner. Would have been really needed. The top pass rusher would have been great to pair with Hutchinson. It did still... It is kind of funny if you, if you look... Now that I'm looking at it, it's like you could have got to say, oh, wait, you still got Branch at 45. You could have got a tight... Oh, you got Laporta. I guess from that standpoint, it's all right. But I, I still think having those higher picks to come away with that low of value. I mean, you went from... Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift to Gibbs, and that's what your number six overall pick gave you, plus whatever co additional compensation you got. I would have been a lot more scared if you had gotten a guy like Tyree Wilson. 
even though, even though I wasn't as big on him, as big and scary and strong as he is paired with Hutchinson, you can kick him inside, outside. Way more scared of that than Jameer Gibbs. I mean, how many times do we have to see this team take swings at linebackers and tight ends and running backs and it never materializes before apparently I'm allowed to <laughs> not really be worried about it? But no, he, he was my favorite linebacker. So I, I agree it's a good player. I just don't think it was a great value, especially again when you look at two first round picks, two relatively early first round picks, one of them at sixth overall, and they came away with. Um, a guy that many believed would have been there uh, late first. Again, maybe not. I don't know. But didn't make me sad. All right. Luke Musgrave, we've got a coach pleaser. Now, uh, <laughs> how do I become a coach? <laughs> that was random. Thank you, Nate. Uh, yeah, we drafted Luke Musgrave, so that's cool. Okay. Let's find, find out. Ugh, I can't even talk. I'm so disappointed. What's going on? It's Omar the Firefighter. How you doing? I'm not really hyped um, about our second round. I feel like we uh, – I'm happy about the positions. Yeah. But I understand getting Musgrave um, because he could be basically Jimmy Graham or, you know what I'm saying, because he could be real sweet. He got a super high floor, but he got injury history, and he don't got a lot of production. So that's my negative about that. Jaden Reed – I'm not gonna lie. I haven't looked at him. I overlooked him because of Tillman and Hyatt. Like I'm going over everybody's. I watched probably at least 20 videos of top wide receivers. At least Musgrave was in. I see a couple of top fives. You know, definitely top tens. I I don't even know the receiver. I heard about him, but I I haven't seen him, and he doesn't even fit the profile that the Packers like. So I'm not really hyped because. He can't be, he's not going to turn into a number one wide receiver. I should say he can't. I don't see that. I see him as being a good, you know, Beasley type of receiver. They go in in the middle and everything. So we're basically depending on um, Watson and Dobbs to be the starting outside. I'm like, man, if one of them get hurt, which both of them have gotten hurt last year, who's going to be in there and be that big guy? to do the damn thing, and uh, we don't got that. So I'm kind of a little, a little sad, but, you know, we got third round, but like I said, Tillman, Hyatt there, like, I wasn't, I didn't like Hyatt's size, but just the fact that you could put him in the slot, it would have been awesome. So, you know, but like I said, we got Tillman and Hyatt still waiting, but uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I'm not feeling too comfortable, but I'm going to go watch some highlights of them, and maybe I'll feel different. All right, anyway, go back, go. I think that's how most of us were feeling. Um, as I would mentioned to you guys, I kind of ended up getting all the way out on Hyatt after I watched him because I just, aside from that Alabama game, and you know I, what everybody tells you is that he's got this ridiculous blazing speed, but it just, I don't know, I, I didn't see it as much as I thought I would. But um, I still haven't seen everything there is to see about Jaden Reed, but... In the one game that I watched, I remember just being kind of blown away. I mean, significantly better route runner than Jalen Hyatt. I don't know that he isn't faster than Jalen Hyatt. If he's not, it's it's got to be close. Uh, hands, I guess I don't know, but uh, apparently he's phenomenal when it comes to tracking the ball and hands and all, pretty much everything. He's just a little bit undersized. And again, the, the thing that's good about it is we know the Packers are not super high on, on that, um, well, that size of player. So the fact that they broke that in order to take him in the second round, tells you what they think about him as a football player. So hopefully uh, you came to a similar conclusion after watching him. We got Omar about an hour later. Let's see if you watched him. What's going on, Omar Firefighter? I'm calling again, again, 10 picks from our dreaded third-round pick. Um, and I'm still kind of pissed about the wide receiver, <laughs> Jalen Reed. Like, um, a lot of people saying, you know, he got the comp of uh, Greg Ward, which wasn't like a number one, number two receiver. Um, I, I see he got kick return ability, but I feel like that's what the was the the Bears did in getting Davis Jones, like just somebody that well actually he's more of a speed person, but just somebody like return kicks and stuff like in the second round. Like I keep seeing he's like a good number three, number four wide receiver. We drafted him in the second round. 
Like you get a second round. We got Christian Watson in the second round. Somebody who can be a number one, a number two. And this dude is like, I just, it's so many other talented receivers. Um, I may hopefully come back for A.T. Perry, maybe get Tillman in the third round. Who knows? But I don't see them going back to back wide receiver, but maybe. Um, I will say this though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get a little bit positive for this phone conversation. At the time, I was like, why are we doing this just to get fifth-round picks? So we got two additional fifth-round picks. They're fifth-round picks. Who cares? Is fifth-round pick really going to make or break the team? And then I thought about it and I said, maybe we did that to get a kicker, a punter, you know, some of the special teams, basically. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, maybe that's why. I haven't been scouting kickers. I don't know if there's any even good kickers or not available. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Um, what they'll do. But that's the only thing I can think of. They're trying to get a bunch of fifth round picks for these questionable wide receivers and, and basically special teams. But we drafted a dude in the second round and he's only going to be a wide receiver three for us. I would love it to be competition. And that way you got the best three, two or three players playing, but we didn't get that. And I, I get it. He's a good contested catch player, but. Again, you ain't got to contest to catch everything if you open. You can get open. So, anyway, go back to us. Yeah, and again, that that was – it depends where you're looking, right? It sounds like everywhere you're looking, he's – it was a bad value, and he's a number three wide receiver and all that stuff, and he's a kick returner. But that's clearly not why the Packers took him, right? The Packers wouldn't take a number three wide receiver for punt return ability. And you got to remember what, what the Bears took, and I think that was third round, right? But we're talking about a 25-year-old that was expected to only be a special teamer. I mean, that, that was kind of the thing coming out. I think with Jaden Reed, it's, oh, and by the way, he has special teams ability on top of that. Um, I just looked at uh, Chris Trapasso here, had Jaden Reed as the 58th best player, his sixth best wide receiver, and compared him to Stephon Diggs Light, it says. I, haven't, I didn't dig into a bunch of, I, again, I know... Um, just earlier on, I, I talked about uh, Ian Cummings had him 50th. I didn't read his what he said about him, and I don't want to go look it up because this again, this is the first one I found. But it says Reed has all the subtleties of a player the of playing the receiver spot down, head fakes, shoulder fakes, the speed changes to get open, and he's not strictly uh, when he's not strictly leaning on his mid 4-4 speed or surprising suddenness. He's a blast after the catch, and despite his uh, unintimidating frame, Reed plays like he's six foot three in combat catch situations. He's a little older and doesn't have quite as big of long as frame as Diggs, but I got Diggs vibes watching and grading him. So, you know, it's just one person's opinion, but Chris Trapasso doesn't see him as a number three receiver. He sees him as a little bit undersized, but as having wide receiver one abilities. And, you know, you mentioned the contested catch thing. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what was said about him from where you read, but I think he has the ability to get 50-50 ball. But he doesn't doesn't necessarily need that ability because it seems to me one of one of his best attributes is his really shifty route running. And I, I think, and it, obviously this has been a while since that draft pick. I'm sure you've done some digging and have heard what I've had to say and other things. And again, I still haven't even done enough. I'm hoping to have some time today after I get this done, and then do the Packernet After Dark podcast, and then we'll see if there's any time to be able to watch something. But um, I mean, just go watch a Senior Bowl. Right, that was the whole thing with the Senior Bowl, and Jim Nagy was talking about like I cannot believe that people aren't higher on this guy. He's unbelievable, and he just torched everybody at the Senior Bowl, and it was just his ability to get away from everybody, you know. So you're right. If if he is a number three wide receiver who's primarily a special teamer, it was a terrible pick. But that's not why they got him. All right, so I'm trying not to. I'm just an old firefighter. I'm trying not to be mad, like I'm sure a lot of people. Gonna be get a lot of calls and try not to be negative, but we got a tight end. Then we get another tight end, and I'll. I mean, I mean, I get it. Our tight end room is 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 bare, and is probably bare than our wide receivers. So I'm trying to flip it to a positive, but I mean, you're gonna play like three tight ends max, and I'm sure it's just the tight end draft was so deep. We could have easily got a, like a good tight end to play number three, but like we in the third round pick, we got another tight end. It's like, what are you doing? We don't have any wide receivers. And then 
a wide receiver go right after our pick, and then Tillman and Hyatt both go like three picks before we pick. So it's like we could have just easily gave up a six round, I'm sure, just to move up those three picks. You know, like it's just it's just ridiculous. I don't understand it. Our wide receiver room is is not great at all, and we're not adding any good bodies there. And then we double dip and tight end. I'm, I'm trying not to be negative. It's hard. Please help me. Help me out because this is like hurtful. Like the draft is supposed to be like exciting and you're rebuilding your franchise, you're reloading. Like the draft is not over and I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy. I'm sure you're probably going to get tired of hearing it, but right now I'm looking like seven wins. Just, I mean, I know we're going to just run the football and I know we're used to just passing all over the place, but that's not this team. This team is a straight run football, but that's not helping Jordan Love. And I we're going to have to give him a contract, and we need to know if he can play. So now we're just going to run the ball nine of the time and throw some play-action passes and be like, oh, should he get paid or not? Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, this is – I cannot believe this, man. I'm just my, – all my positivity is almost gone. Uh, it's like one wide receiver, I think, left that I want us to get. And then you got like three deep steel people. But um, it's, those people are not going to even probably help this year. So it's it's just sad. I'm, I'm not, not. Hopefully people are excited, but I'm not. All right, anyway, go back up. Well, first of all, you're the first person I've heard get mad about double dipping a tight end. I didn't know that was a thing. The thing I'll say about that is I think instead of thinking about it in terms of tight end one, tight end two, tight end three, in other words, we have our our tight end, and then we got our backup, and then we just drafted our backup's backup. I mean, we could easily have all three on the field at the same time. And, you know, remember, we, we use, there are essentially three different positions. It's not even a question of, you know, is Robert Tunyon the one, two, or three? He's the H-back. Well, is Tucker Kraft the number one or the number two? He's the inline tight end. Well, is, is Musgrave the number two then, or the one, or what? He's your Y, your slot, your receiving tight end. So we now have a new Robert Tunyon in Musgrave. We have a new Mercedes Lewis in Tucker Craft, and DeGuara is still DeGuara as our H-back. The other thing that you're upset about seems to be the fact that you just hate Jaden Reed, and, and I can't help you with that. You know, I mean, you wished we had taken another wide receiver, it sounds like primarily because you think Jaden Reed's just terrible and you were hoping we'd actually get one of the good ones. And the only way you're going to get over that is to accept, or 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 I shouldn't say accept because you, you could very well be right that he's not good, but is to at least understand that the Packers didn't draft Jaden Reed because they thought he was mediocre and then passed on Hyatt just for, you know, what's and giggles, you know? Like it's some funny joke about how we can screw with Omar. <laughs> like, let's draft this punt returner who kind of sucks and then Hyatt who's like elite first-round talent, who for whatever reason falls, uh, we just won't draft him because it's funny. No, they took Jaden Reed because he's a lot better than Jalen Hyatt, and he's better than Tillman. That's why Reed got drafted and those two didn't. He's a better route runner. He's a better receiver. I, 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 honestly, I honestly would not be surprised if he's faster than Hyatt. Remember, he, he supposedly clocked mid-4-4s, but the Packers had him at 4-3-7. And when you go watch him play, this is before I heard what the Packers clocked him. I remember thinking 4-4. Are you serious? This dude is cooking. And then he's one of those guys who, who's running real fast. You're like, oh, dang, that's fast. Then the ball goes in the air, and they hit a second gear, and it's like, what the heck is that? Guy's got freaking boosters. So what the Packers did is they loaded up. We have two great running backs. We got Watson, Dobbs, and Reed, and we're going to go on to add wide receivers, which you don't know and I'm guessing aren't going to get super excited about because it's not going to be any of the guys that you've probably heard of, but me either for that matter. I mean, Wicks I did and I didn't like, but you get my point. But... You know, I, I, from my perspective, positionally, it's fine. It's just a matter of, are these the, the right players? And I, I, even to this moment, am not a big fan of the tight ends. Um, I'm coming around to Musgrave just because he's incredibly fast. But it's like, he spent three years at a very low-end school and really just was not very good. And then he played two games, and he graded out well in those two games, and then we drafted him in the second round. That's a heck of a gamble for me. Now, granted, the, the grades aren't probably the, the reason that they drafted him. It's, it's because of the physical tools, but it just makes me nervous. Um, 
And then Tucker Craft, I just I just genuinely didn't like very much and didn't have a lot of opportunities to watch him do anything. But um, what I saw, I didn't care for. There's not a lot else to, to watch. But everybody else seems to love him and say he's great, so cool. But really, think about it. You, you've got Christian Watson and Jaden Reed who are blazing fast. You've got Christian Watson, Tucker Craft, and uh, Luke Musgrave who are massive human beings. Oh, by the way, Musgrave is probably going to be the fastest tight end in the NFL. Just a guess. So the, the side, and, and you know, as far as like, well, all we're going to do is run and we need to see if he can throw, even Justin Fields threw several hundred times, you know, I mean, he, he's obviously going to have to throw and we can assess how good or bad he is based on those throws. But I think bigger than anything is, can we make this offense work? And I think they've got the pieces to make it work. I mean, they, they've got great route runners and Dobbs and, and Jaden Reed. They got speed in Watson and Reed. They've got size in Kraft and Watson and Musgrave. They've also got the physicality with adding Tucker Kraft to the group, along with our offensive line, along with a hammer of a running back and the the power of AJ Dillon and all that stuff. So we've got some a uh, little bit extra juice to our running back room and our our rushing attack. On top of having a little bit more mobility in our quarterback, and so that is what our offense is. And I think we kind of expected that a little bit, anyways. It's going to be uh, probably quicker passes, higher completion. Maybe a little bit more running, not a ton, just because I mean, even the teams that run the most, it's still about fifty percent passing. So you know, I, I don't know how best to help you come around to it, other than to say I don't think that this told us we're not going to be throwing. I think we're just replacing two guys that left with as far as the tight ends. And you're you're if you really want to enjoy the picks, you got to come around to Jaden Reed. And I think if you can see his upside, and I will do my best to help you if I go back and watch Jaden Reed, I'll try to put together a little highlight reel. I should do that for Lucas Van Ness and whatnot too, but just to try to help people out to to feel better about the draft class. All right, let's get Omar's final call in here, and then we're going to call it a day. It is Omar Firefight again. I had to call back because I... Again, don't try to be negative. I'm not a negative person. I get it. Um, I, By the way, I, I said the exact same thing for I don't know how long. Like, usually I'm not the one super negative, like, this draft sucks while everybody else is excited about it, but I felt like I was that guy. Because everybody, I mean, I, I kind of was like, man, none of the guys I like got picked, and kind of not exactly the way that I wanted it to go, although positionally I, I kind of like it, and I understand the, the thought process if everything works out on paper or whatever, but... Uh, and then when I poked my head out, everybody loved it. And I'm like, I guess I'll be that guy. So I get it. And as from that guy to that guy, I'll try to help you along to understand the vision and, and how this can end up being a great thing. Well, say I did watch uh, some film or read. Yeah. Um, I still feel similar, but it's a video called Why He's Like the Steel. Uh, of a wide receiver by, I think, Scott Fisher on YouTube, like, saying that Reed's a steal and reminding him of Christian Watson, like, how anybody talk about him, and then he rose up. Sure. So I'm like, that gives me, and, like, gave me a little hope and how he did a real good job at the senior bowl, and he was doing awesome. So maybe Reed is better than what I think, but I I still... (laughs) <laughs> so I'm just saying on that. That's a real positive. So maybe he could be the next Christian Washington and just be surprising everybody and be all. And like I said, that's going to be, a, it sounds like the biggest piece for you is, is if you can come around to that, um, it's a pretty solid group, even even if you don't like the double dipping. But big, I think big part of the reason you didn't like the double dipping tight end is because you're hoping we get, you know, an actually good wide receiver, at least from, from your perspective at that time. Awesome. Um, Turns uh, Antonio Brown without the craziness. So, uh, <laughs> we'll nice. see. Like I said, best thing I would advise everybody is just be positive and don't complain until we see them play. Now, we see them play like trash can play, but just, you know, keep, I guess, keep the faith. But it just sucks when you got people that you want your team to draft and they're like either right there right. and we don't draft them. And let it go. Like I, I, I want to say, Donald Washington was still available, right. and we drafted that dude instead of Donald Kraft, instead of Donald Washington. Like that's really blowing my mind. I, I'm not sure. I don't think he was drafted. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he was. My apologies if he was, but I, I don't know. I'm just, it's just going crazy for me. I'm, I'm uh, I don't know. Anyway, go back though. Yeah, I mean that's another one too. So with a lot of these guys, we we tend to look at it only through the lens of the Packers, right? Dude, he's sitting there. Why didn't you take him? Darnell Washington's sitting there. Why didn't you take him? When the, when the question probably, why did he even make it this far? 
And why did not only the Packers still not take him, but then, you know, continuing on, you know, J- same with Jalen Hyatt. He wasn't a first-round pick. He didn't even make it in the second round, I don't think. Was he was a third-round pick. So he was not nearly as liked as a lot of people thought. And the NFL didn't really actually think he was that good, which means the NFL draft community, who told us that he's this elite speed threat, you know, freakish Tyreek Hill thing, the NFL is listening to the draft community tell us that, and they're going, freaking idiots. Ain't that. There's no way. And another way to, to even think about it is to look at Jalen Hyatt and, and, and Tillman and, and look at all the great attributes and remind yourself that the Packers also saw all those attributes and still would rather have Reed. Same with Darnell Washington. They saw the size. They saw the speed. They saw the violence. And they still wanted Musgrave, and they still wanted Tucker Craft over that. So that should at least give us the time to say, all right, let's, I guess, stop and pause and take a look at it and see what the heck's going on here. But anyways, I just saw somebody posted this, so considering um, the reservations at Omar, and I'm sure a lot of other people have, uh, why don't we actually end with this? Um, Hog NFL posted this from uh, the Pat McAfee Show. Daniel Jeremiah was asked by AJ Hawk, which team had i think you said the most interesting or whatever but here was his answer well you know looking at it in hindsight like the i thought the packers did a really nice job like oh, yeah. if you're trying to craft a draft for a young quarterback you go out and get a couple tight ends um they took van s early who fits like the mold of the bigger like kind of rugged edge guys that they like to play with yeah. i thought they got just kind of a lot of value throughout the whole thing and it, i didn't realize till the end of how many dang picks they had they had a zillion picks um so i thought they did a really nice job and you know, Aaron leaving, I mean, we'll find out on Jordan Love. We don't know. But to me, I thought they did everything they could to try and support him uh, as he gets his opportunity here. I like I like what the Green Bay Packers did. So, and it, it, again, it is a weird spot for you and I to be in, Omar, where usually we're supportive and then the national media hates it. Um, and here we come in going, you know, eh, I don't know, it was okay. And you got Daniel Jeremiah and a bunch of people saying the Packers had a great draft and we're trying to catch up. So, um, I'm still in the process of that. I've come around to Jaden Reed. Um, working on Musgrave, I don't know if I get any closer to it because I've watched every one of his <laughs> 2022 games because there's only two of them and watched one of his games from last year. None of them are all 22. I've got one all 22 Tucker Craft game and that's it. But um, yeah, I'm working on it. And as I grow more confident in the the picks, I will be sure to relay that to you because, again, we... <sighs> We can do our best to try to grade the process, which we can't 100% do because we don't know what their board looks like and all those kinds of things. But you can look positionally and, and at least see if there are any kind of flaws or anything that you have as far as process. And I certainly don't have any issues with the process, especially when you take several things into consideration. You look at the high upside players, you look at the trade backs, you look at the accumulation of picks. Uh, you look at the high-quality positional value that you get a- again in the first round with a guy like Lucas Van Ness. You look at the um, also at the same time of doing that, your satisfying needs. Um, just kind of hitting on all those things. It really just for me comes down to how well are these guys going to perform, which of course we won't know the answer to that for a very long time. And so at that point, what do you do? Well, you can give your own personal thoughts and opinions, which of course is fine. And then after that, I think the in my opinion, the best thing to do is to try to come around to it and see what the Packers saw. So that will be my goal. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.